Now, over the last few Sundays, I've been presenting the major elements of the 2020 vision here on Sundays. Of course, we covered it in the conference, but that was more seminar format. This is taking the scripture and seeing what God is saying to us about some of these issues. We started two weeks ago with the theme of spiritual maturity, spiritual growth. It's so important. Perhaps that's the biggest, the best vision you could ever have for your life as you approach a new year or look forward to the future, is to grow spiritually. Then once you do that, you'll realize that spiritual growth goes on to this second aspect, which is numerical growth. It takes a disciple to make a disciple, and a disciple is also a disciple maker. And we really do need to see Christian churches grow numerically. It's not a numbers game, but it's important that we propagate our faith and bear fruit as Jesus has called us to. It did that last week. And now, this week, we're going to go on to the third aspect, mature, multiply, and mobilize. And this is about growing in our influence outside of church walls, there in society, where God has placed you, in the marketplace, at home, in school, college, or places of recreation. In other words, to shine for Jesus in the hours of the week that we're not in church services. In other words, it's about life outside. And my title this morning under that is Shining Like Stars in the World. If you wanted to be a star, I've got good news for you. You are already a star. Shining like stars in the world. And uh, here is the key thought that I want you to take away from today's message, and it's expressed like this. Jesus in you is the light by which others see. It's not just for you. But the more you shine for Jesus, the more you light up the darkness so that others can see. And their lives too can be transformed, and even whole communities can be transformed. Whole sectors and domains of society can be, called, can be changed. For example, the great giants of influence in our society, the more Christians are there witnessing, shining as light, the more the kingdom of God can begin to come in. So I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter 2. This is a passage that I've selected because it speaks right into this situation. Philippians 2 verses 12 to 18. Let's read together. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. 
The Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice. All right? Are you going to rejoice with me this morning without being jealous? When I show you some example of an amazing diving holiday I took some time ago. <laughs> oh, I can see, I can see. And uh, it was a diving holiday, a couple, two or three days on a liverboard dive boat, which was uh, sailing up and down the Great Barrier Reef off the coast of Queensland. And this could, could even be the very boat that I was on. And it's showing exactly what I saw. After a hard day's work diving in the barrier reef, I got up and uh, went to the back of the boat and discovered a bubbly jacuzzi. So here I am, sitting in the jacuzzi. Some of you have turned a little green. Are you feeling all right? <laughs> and um, the main point of the story is when I just sat back, looked up to the sky, I saw the most amazing view of the Milky Way. I had forgotten what it was like to be outside of light-polluted London. And most of us who live in the city, we don't even know what the sky at night looks like. Gray, cloudy perhaps, or some reflected light from the city. But when you get out into the countryside or the place where there's clean air, no light pollution, you get a visible look at the incredible splendor of our galaxy. We're told that there are approximately 100 billion stars in our galaxy. And they calculate that by calculating the star mass that there is, averaging it out, and that is a conservative estimate, 100 billion. It may be as much as 400 billion, depending on the size of the stars. When you look up and see that, I want you to know this. One day, that's going to be you. You are going to shine in the firmament of God's recreated universe forever, like a star in the heavens. Wonderful thought, but the passage I read brings us much more down to earth. God says, I've already placed you in a strategic place that you can shine like a star in the darkness of your workplace, your school, your home, your community, to shine for me as a light. Now, we know that Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and we can get that. We also understand that the Bible declares that the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness is not able to overcome it, really using the illustration of light and darkness to show that light is a thousand times more powerful than darkness. When you switch on the light at home, darkness has no argument. It flees. No argument. It has to obey the light. And that's a picture of you and me and the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of light. It is already victorious. It is going to shine. And the darkness is going to be dispelled. No argument at all. And the only reason it hasn't happened is the mercy of God. When he turns up the luminosity of the kingdom, there'll be no place for anybody living in darkness. So he's giving us an opportunity to come to the light. We get that. But the most amazing thing to me is not just that Jesus is the light of the world, but he turns this right back on us and he says, you are the light of the world. 
there in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, verses 14 to 16, is one of the most famous passages of Jesus talking about our capacity to shine in the world. He says, you are the light of the world. He speaks to his disciples. So this is plural, not just that we shine individually, but we do. But that we shine together in the world. You are the light of the world. Then he very quickly makes an important point. He says, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see. Just let me pause there. Remember I'm saying Jesus in you is the light by which others see. Let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. A very simple thought today, but it's profound. The question we have to ask ourselves is, how do we let the light of Jesus shine through us to bring light to the darkness that's in this world? From the passage, I notice this first of all. Number one, in order to do that, we must be shaped in order to shine shaped in order to shine. If you take a very simple flashlight, a simple torch, you'll know the components, of course. There's a casing which has batteries. That's the power source. Holy Spirit's our power source. There's a light bulb which has the capacity to shine. But beyond that, that light bulb is encased in a carefully curved reflective surface. And it's exactly designed to throw the light out and to give it direction, to give it focus. And that curved mirror on the inside of a light or a torch or something, that corresponds to the way the Holy Spirit shapes your life so that you can reflect the light. The better the shape, the more brilliant and more focused is the light. What this tells me is the Holy Spirit wants to take your character, take my character, and correctly form it and shape it so that it can most effectively, most correctly, and most positively shine effectively into the world, acting like a lens to focus the beam. So character correctly formed to reflect Christ in the world is how we can more brilliantly shine for Jesus. And I get this from verses 12 through 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now, it begins with the word therefore, and I resisted the temptation to go back in those verses because this series would become a very long one if I did that. But it's worth a look early verses of chapter 2 because there he describes this character that I'm talking about. It's having Jesus reproduced in us. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. It's a lot about compassion and love and humility and servanthood, and that says a lot about the kind of shape 
So that's what Paul is talking about. So he says, therefore, that's what I'm talking about. Now, make sure you obey. Make sure you obey. Let me just stop and say that a word again in its noun form. Obedience. Ouch. Now, I've been soaking myself in these scriptures. My mind is incredibly sanctified, according to these, these thoughts over this last week. But even being full of the scripture, there is still something in me, even as I say it now, the word obedience, that wants to say, eh, who says? None of us like that word. We've got to get over it. Got to get over it. Because, you see, obedience for us smacks of authority. Somebody outside our lives telling us what to do, and nobody tells me what to do. That's part of the old nature. And we see it as something external imposed upon us. Now then, that's, that's not the whole truth. But anyway, even if it was imposed upon us, there's some good examples in everyday life of how we see the sense of it. For example, the rules of the road. Now, if you've just been caught for speeding, you're not going to like what I'm about to say, but you'll know it's true. Uh, you know, the rules of the road are externally enforced upon us. When you take a driving test, you say, these are the rules of the road, learn them and obey them. And we say, yes, sir. Why? Because we want to travel safely and effectively on the roads. Imagine a society where there were no road rules. Now, I'm not talking about Mumbai, Mumbai or, Na or Lagos, Nigeria. I'm not talking about those countries. I'm just talking about a theoretical place where there are loads and loads of cars and no rules. That was not a safe place to go. And you, your journey will be greatly complicated. And so it is for our benefit that the road rules are there. And we accept that. Now the difference between that and what I'm talking about is that the rules of God, God's way, is not merely imposed on the outside, from the outside. God's way works from the inside out. God takes his heart and places it within us, and in that heart there is this desire to live in a way that best honors God and glorifies God. That desire for the born-again believer is the truest truth, the deepest you that can ever be. That's in you because God says, I'm at work in you. Now, your job in obedience is to walk in line with what God has put inside of you. And that has very practical implications because here, when we gather Sunday by Sunday in the meeting place, it's great. We celebrate. We're here to encourage one another and to get our batteries charged for what purpose? That we may go out and practically work out this principle that I'm seeking to teach you today, which you know anyway. I'm sure I'm just reminding you. And that's why we prepare each Sunday, a set of practical questions that you work through in yourselves. By the way, cell leaders, here it is today. I, uh, Scott will have them afterwards, but I do email them out to you. It's about becoming doers of the word, not just hearers only. So there's obedience. That comes from the inside. But there's this reference here that I want us to spend a moment or two on. Paul says, as you did in my absence, now so much more as you did in my presence, now so much more in my absence. Now, we can understand these were real people. They had a real relationship with Paul. They knew Paul. Paul was in prison, and now he was absent from them. 
And he remembers the time when he was with them. It's one of the most beautiful letters of all the New Testament to the churches. Paul has only got one issue. They were a bit disunited. But apart from that, it's just a joyful thank you letter. A tremendous expression of Christian love and fellowship. And it must have been amazing when Paul came to town, everybody would get together, the meetings would swell, they'd have food and enjoy company, and Paul would preach and preach some more, they'd eat some more, preach some more. A wonderful time. And they were pumped up. They were so happy. There wasn't anything that they would say no to. Yes, Paul, you're right. You're carrying the revelation of God. It's wonderful. We're together, and we're going to obey God. But when Paul left town... What happened? There's a family that I know of talking to them about it, and here's an experience where uh, the grandfather was the, is the shining light of the family, and when the grandfather is alive, was alive, everybody was walking with Jesus, and after grandfather died, they didn't do very much at all. In fact, the family began to fall apart. Is your faith like that? Is your faith secondhand? Is it dependent on those who are with you to keep saying, come on, come on, come on now? And it's good. We do that to one another. And in some days, it's really what I'm doing as best as I can with the help of the Holy Spirit. But your faith must be rooted in God, not a second-hand faith. In other words, whether you are in good company or bad company, you shine for Jesus. Don't go looking for bad company. But I'm saying God will place you out there in the place of darkness and there may not be a lot of light around you. That's why you say gather together in small groups and, and be an encouragement to one another. But your faith must not be secondhand and just dependent on who's talking to you at the time. Your cell leader says this is what you should do. So you say, yes, I agree. Then your work colleague who is as a pagan as they come, says, well, this is what you should do, and you say, I agree. No, we shine for Jesus because Jesus lives in us. So we are shaped with the character of Jesus in order to shine. And uh, how wonderful it is uh, that we can do it. Now, the next point is this. Not only would we, should we be shaped and so set up that the light can shine, all the lenses should be in good working order. They should be clean. I don't know if you have a basement, or maybe you have an attic, or maybe you have a stair cupboard, and there's a light bulb there that you forget about when cleaning time comes. I'm not accusing you of anything. But I know human nature. So what happens is you go in there and say, why is it so dim in this place? And then you see the light bulb. It is so caked in. Well, anyway, all right. So it needs polishing regularly. That's like you and me. It's so easy for us to let the pollution around us affect us and dim our light. So here's my second point. We must be clear reflectors of his light so that we can preserve the purity of the light that is shining in us. Jesus is the source, but we can obscure that light sometimes by our attitudes and our actions. Verses 14 to 15 say, Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God, without blemish. That's what I'm talking about. 
that purity. Now, notice that purity here seems to be linked with simplicity. He uses the word children of God. We are sons and daughters of God 24-7. But Paul actually is using the picture of a child, childlike blamelessness, innocence, simplicity. Now, I know there's another side to little children and all the rest of it, but that's an image that he says, be like this, be like little children. He says, I send you as, as, uh, as like out into the world where there are many, many wolves. Be harmless as doves. Be harmless. Be pure. And that is the pure light of Christ. And so making sure that we're dealing with the blemishes, making sure that we are maintaining a good Christian witness of purity. Now, the, the danger here is you think, well, you know that, I, I have to be quiet at work. I'll just take my light bulb out of the church, out of the torch when I leave church. And so I'll be one of these secret believers, so darkness hiding in darkness. No, 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 no. Why be timid? Well, because I, I just think I'm not what I should be. Ah, 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 ah. Stop right there. None of us is exactly and fully what we should be. But all of us, thank God, we're not what we used to be. Amen and amen. There's been a change. And that change is the difference between light and darkness. So have confidence. If you are the light of the world, it's not because you have any capacity to shine. You're more like the moon that reflects his light, the light of the sun. So it's about reflecting Jesus. But keep that surface clear. Surface of your heart. Keep it clear. And keep coming before God. And, and, and develop that purity of spirit and attitude. And in the midst of cynical world, it's always grumbling and complaining about everything. If you've nothing positive to say, then what do you do? Did you say, say nothing? Of course you say something. You pray. <laughs> if you have nothing positive to say, pray. And God will show you. We can look at stuff, pray for the new president of the United States of America. Stop grumbling and complaining and pray. Pray changes things. Amen and amen? Even, okay, let's move on. All right. So, so it's about walking in a blameless way so that we, we, we just shine as children of God. And remember, we do this in the midst of, as he puts it, a crooked and twisted generation. Mm. Not very complimentary. So don't go into the office tomorrow and say, I've had a message from God by Colin Dye, and I'm going to shine as a light amongst you crooked and twisted people. No, 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 no. The description's not very flattering, but the reason behind it is very real. The first word used here, crooked, is exactly the same word where we get the medical condition term from, scoliosis. And that means something that is out of alignment. Somebody who suffers from this, their spine is a little bit twisted and curved. It can be mild, it can be severe, it can be debilitating, which means that we've gone something has happened that is now not straight, it's not standard, it's not in line. 
And this is exactly a description of our society. We don't need to prove it, it's just clearly observable. That God's standard is kind of bent out of shape to accommodate what people think they should be doing. Human opinion trumps God's word when we live together in society. Therefore, one of our main purposes to shine as light is to spotlight the straight standards of God and all that flows from it. The second word is uh, not so recognizable in English, but it means to distort, to misinterpret, or to corrupt. Again, it is people who are walking in darkness, willfully re re rejecting the standard of truth, the standard of light, and willfully blind to the light, twisting away from the reality, the truth, who is God. Now we must have great compassion as we shine that light because we were in darkness once exactly like them. But the light of God has shone in our hearts and that has given us now a capacity to shine and light up God who is the ultimate reality of the universe. The God whose own righteous character is expressed in the laws that he has given and the rules of life by which we are called to live. And not only is he the moral law giver, he is the upholder of that, and also he is the judge of all. And that is so important. Here is a straight line, and we light up that straight line. And as a result of that, dear friends, we offer clarity. We offer hope. We even offer rationality. Do you know that one of the things we have to come to grips with is even though humanity is being created in God's image rationally, we have the capacity to reason and God has given us great capacity to think things through. But if our minds are darkened because we've turned away from God, then even our thinking is going to be skewed. And that's why I believe soon enough that the evangelical church that upholds the word of God may well become the last bastion of rational thinking in the Western world. For it is we who are rational, they who are irrational. I'll come back to that point uh, a, a, a little later on if I have time to say some more. So first of all, we must be shaped in order to shine. Secondly, we must be clear, clean reflectors of the light. And now we come to this third principle that I see. We must be correctly positioned to shine. That was Jesus' point when he said, you're the light of the world, and by the way, a light that is hidden is of no value. That light must be exposed. Uses the picture of a city set on a hill. And if you've ever driven... I remember in Africa, Australia, and, and even here in Britain, you drive out in the countryside, windy road, roads, and no light at all. You can just see up on the hillside a village. Might not be many, many lights, just a small village, but you can see it for miles. And no matter how small or insignificant you see, if you are correct, you seem to be. If you are correctly positioned, you can shine for miles. And he says, you know, the light that you light in your home and this would be like, you know, uh, ancient history stuff where they'd have an oil lamp and then it would shine as a light, a kind of candle kind of thing. 
and, and they'd put it in a spot, a special niche in the wall that was designed correctly to shine light into the whole of the house. In the same way, your house, the wiring is in the floorboards, the light bulbs are in the ceiling for a very, very good reason. If you don't know why, somebody will help you work it out. But anyway, the point is, is that we have behaved as Christians as if the light bulb has to be hidden under the floorboards. But no, Jesus says, no, get out of the hidden place and just shine. Just shine where I've put you. Now, if we are the light of the world and he sent us into the world, it necessarily follows that he has placed us in that very special place where he has chosen that we shine for him. And that's going to give you a lot of confidence. You think that that application to college was accepted because you're a clever student. Uh-uh. God put you there. You think that it was because you improved your CV and had a good interview. Do get a good CV, good interview. But you must understand that despite these things, important as they are, it is God who chooses you to be where you are to shine for him. Especially as we say, Lord, I don't know. Will you guide me? Will you place me in exactly the position that you have designed for me that I can shine most brightly for you? Sometimes that's obvious, but other times we need the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to be guided by the Lord. So that, But the most important point is this, is that that's our purpose for being there. And you thought that your job was so you could pay your mortgage? Oh, no, 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 no. You say, I know, because it doesn't give me enough money to pay my mortgage. Okay. But that's secondary. The most important thing is that you shine for Jesus. So this means we see everything about our calling to be tied to where God has placed us. Your occupation, your community, your home, your town, your city, your, wherever you are. And so correctly positioned to shine. But if we don't get that the fact that this is the whole purpose to shine for him, we won't get that at all. And so we see that we are correctly positioned by Jesus to shine. Why? So that others can see. You are the light by which others see. Now, there's many ways that we can think about this. Chiefly, it's about reflecting on just what the gospel brings to the world. Imagine a world without the gospel. Imagine a world that never had a visitation from God's prophets in the Judeo-Christian scriptures. Imagine a world in which Jesus had never come. A world that had never benefited from the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. A world that had, was totally without knowledge or experience, because it never happened, the coming of Jesus to die on the cross. A world without redemption. Imagine a world without hope. 
The hope of the second coming is the coming of Jesus to bring in the new heavens and the new earth, to renew all things. It's not about destruction of everything. It's about recreation, restoration. Imagine a world that had never had any of that. What kind of world would we live in? It would be quite a dark place. Not totally dark, because the Bible says that the very creation itself brings light to the natural understanding. In fact, the Bible says that even the great eternal principles of God are visible by the things that he has made. However, we have become darkened in our understanding and reject that. There's the light of conscience. Don't ever insult a non-believer or an atheist and say, you must be immoral because you don't believe in the God of the Bible. No. The principle of God's of God's law is in our consciences. Whether we are believers or not, that's why everybody basically knows right from wrong. However, two things. Without Christ in your life, you haven't a hope at all of living up to that standard. Secondly, without the knowledge of God, you have nothing to base your morality on. You can be moral, not exactly understand how and why, but you've got no justification for it. Because if you believe, as many people believe, that human life is only a collection of molecules in motion. A molecule has no morality. Chemical reactions have no morality. Nuclear power can be used for benefit or evil. It's the people who use it. Or maybe you say, well, at least I know the value of human life. Do you? What do you base it on? If you base it on evolution, the survival of the fittest, then really we have a terrible jungle of a world to live in. No, no, no. But if you understand that you are God's special purpose, that God has created you in his image, that teaching of the image of God is the fundamental baseline of all dignity of life that is now embedded in our Judeo-Christian traditions in this nation. Wipe that out and we are going to be in for a terrible time. Your light is to shine on the goodness of God in the midst of all of this. Your light is like a lighthouse that gives a stable objective reference point exactly like a lighthouse in a stormy night and, and the lighthouse is the only light that will guide people to safety. That's exactly who you are. And do you know what? You don't need a university education to do this. You don't even need an A-level or an E-level, or whatever levels you never got. You don't need that. You just need to love Jesus and let his light shine from you. Now, I'm not against education. Get as much as you can. But the point is this. It's simply by being who you are. Blameless in the midst of the darkness that surrounds you. But it's not just about this question of truth. Very important that we grasp that. And I said earlier, I'll come back to, I feel I've got a bit of time to do that. And I said that maybe the evangelical churches will become the last bastion of rational thinking. You say, well, wait a bit. What about all the atheists who say that we're the irrational ones? Excuse me? What is more rational? This statement. The world was created by God. Or this statement, something came 
from nothing. Top scientists are telling us that science has proved that the universe created itself. Excuse me. To create itself, it had to exist in order to do something. But in order to be in existence, it has to be created. That's more than chicken and egg problem. How about this statement? Something cannot be one thing and another thing at the same time. You go shopping. You buy a pint of milk. It's in the bag. Where is it? Where is it? In the bag. Is it in the fridge? No, it's in the bag. You take it from the bag, put it in the fridge. Where is it? Is it on the shelf? Is it in the bag? No. How can it be in the bag and in the fridge at the same time? That's exactly what scientists are telling us. Scientists are telling us that the most profound truths are the truths to which the equal and opposite is also true. So you can say, God exists. That's true. God does not exist. That's true. How? Oh, that's science. No, it's not science. It's irrationality. Our, our society is heading towards irrationality. We have to uphold the basic standards of reason that God has given to us because we are created in the image of a rational God. And because we believe it, we're the only ones who are committed to upholding rationality. Give Jesus a big praise. Okay. Now then, that is about truth. Now, there are other aspects of this. What about love and compassion? What about grace and forgiveness? You know, we are the only ones that have the inside track on what love is. Did you know that? I know it's an out outrageous statement, but Apostle John says, this is how we know what love is. How? Because we buy Valentine's cards for the 14th of February? No. That may be part of it. How do we know what love is? Not that we loved God, but that God loved us and gave his son. To those of us, here's where grace fits in, we are undeserving. So it's very easy to love others who love us because it's all about me. You scratch my back, I scratch your back. And when it comes to the golden rule, and that doesn't apply if you're not walking in love, it's do others before they do you. And that's the same principle of self-love. But the gospel is about the sacrifice of God himself. Coming and giving everything freely. Putting his whole life on a line, still leaving us with free will. I've died for you, now open the door to me. I will not force you because I understand what love is. Love is a choice. I won't force myself on you. God could get rid of every evil thing right now, but most people would disappear. We're not part of that program. So he says, come, come to me, come to me. And so he woos us with his love. The cross of Jesus Christ is about redemption. People who have failed in whatever walk of life Morally, moral failures, failures in any kind of way at all, where is the hope for them without the Christian message? And that's why we should demonstrate the love and acceptance and reconciliation with, of Jesus Christ by the way we behave out there. They think we're a bunch of intolerant, judgmental bigots. 
Why? Because a lot of the time we have behaved like judgmental, intolerant bigots. When I say we, I don't mean anybody here, of course. I'm talking about the way that we come across to other people. But the more we genuinely shine with the true, pure light of the love and compassion of Jesus, the more in that light will they see light. Think about compassion. Compassion. Take away Christian compassion from the world. There would still be some compassion left because there is this natural compassion that there is in, in lives. But that compassion will ultimately be self-serving and it will be unilluminated because God himself has shown the most amazing compassion to us and that compassion becomes our motivation out of gratitude. And that's why people pack their cases and go and live in dangerous parts of the world to serve the poor. That's why people will pack their bags and go to the front line of those controversial refugees who none of Europe wants. Why we go there and feed them and help them and care for them and invite them and share with them because of the compassion of Christ. We were outcasts once, but he took us in. Christian compassion. And so, here's my point as we close today. You are made to shine. And without the light of the gospel, none of the things that we hold dear in our society would either exist in the first place, or if they did, they would die out. It's only the light of the gospel that fuels these things. So this tells me something very important. It tells me you matter. Oh, you matter. Just by being who you are, where you are, and shining for Jesus. You may think of yourself as a flickering candle. Well, if you've been some of the places in the world where I've been, you're thankful for that candle. You can see it for a couple of miles away. Tiny candle. And you're not on your own. Oh, no, no, no. We encourage you to shine together in cell groups in the workplace. Not just in the basement on a Sunday, hiding your lights downstairs. But out there in the real world where the light is needed, don't do it on your own. Anyway, you're never on your own. You might be in solitary confinement, but the Holy Spirit's still with you and your batteries can be recharged. Not that I wish it upon you, just use an extreme example. But it's not just that. You take your candle and the candle of the one next to you and the candle of the one next to that and the candle of all the churches, of all the Christians, of all the believers in the world and we have a luminosity capable of illuminating the whole world. That's why Jesus said it wasn't exaggeration. You are the light of the world. Give him a mighty, mighty, mighty praise. So because of who you are, light, you can give light to the people around you. And in that light, they will see things more clearly, guide our society, and actually bring some transformation. By letting your light shine, you can transform your world, your school, your office, your college, your workplace, your family. And the whole world can be influenced to become a little bit more like heaven on earth than it was, than it was before. Now in the middle pages section of February to June prayer diary Bible reading plan, we have all of this set out in terms of the giant's ministry. 
I'd like you to read up on that and really pray because the way we express this part of the Vision 2020, which is to increase our influence, is to make you, help you become more effective where you are. In your home, there's a giant of marriage and family. In your workplace, wherever that is, whatever business it is, in the health service, we have people highly placed in the, in the health service and people who are placed at every level in the health service who are seeking to shine for Jesus. Many, many, many Christians there. The medical profession, the business world. Go through revival times. Three major topics that are covering this month, this next month, to help you become more effective and prosperous in business. Why? So that you can shine for Jesus. All of these, media, art, science, technology, thought, and philosophy, that'll take 100% of you, wouldn't you? That's what grabs a lot of you, isn't it? Anyway, some do, some do. And there's some action there as to how you can identify the giant of influence that you're in, how you can be involved in the, in the various forums that develop, and how we can join together with other organizations who are already working in these areas. So that's very, very practical. But today, I want to leave you with this spiritual point. It's the Holy Spirit that enables you and gives you the power to shine effectively for Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit who is the presence of Christ in you. It's the Holy Spirit who is the oil that feeds the lamp. It's the Holy Spirit that helps shape your life, that you can effectively project Jesus into the world. It's the Holy Spirit that will help you cleanse the lens to use the highest quality optics possible to be effective for Jesus. And it's the Holy Spirit who places you in exactly that right place where you can shine for Jesus. And though you know it not, though you may never feel it, one day you will see the results, the changes that came because you were who you are in Christ and where he has placed you. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the wonderful joy of reflecting the light of Christ in the world. And we think it's a miracle because we're certainly not worthy of it. We owe it all to you. It's, we think it's a challenge because the darkness is strong and powerful, but we remind ourselves that the light is a billion times more powerful than darkness. When light comes, darkness goes, and the light is going to shine, and the light is shining. The darkness cannot overcome it. We ask you, Father, to keep us humble in this. We are not the great big standards of anything. But when we project light and spotlight you, you are the answer to everything. I pray that faith and hope and encouragement and boldness will come upon every individual so that between now and the year 2020, we'll be able to look back and say, wow, we made a difference. Help us, Jesus. Amen.